Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for those children. Lord, would you bless them? But I'm mindful that in our congregation there are many needs, many hurts, um, many ailments, and Lord, we lift them up to you. We also want to remember uh, Tim and Helen Smith, who our church partners with and ser- have been serving you in the Congo. Um, thank you, Lord, that his heart surgery went okay, and after a few scares afterwards that he's stable, and thank you, Lord, that they're, he's medically cleared to go back to the Congo later this month. Lord, I pray that you would be with Tim as he recovers, as he goes through heart rehabilitation, that he might serve you and continue to do your work um, alongside Helen in the Congo. Lord, I pray that we as a church would always be mindful of how we participate in your mission through those partners globally, through the ministries locally, and through what we are doing here in our congregation. Lord, guide us, and we pray that you'd be with us as we explore that a little bit in your scriptures this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, not too long ago, I managed to restain and reseal our old beat-up deck. It was, we have a really small deck that kind of leads up to our front door, so it, takes a, it gets a lot of traffic. We're always in and out on that, and as you can imagine, with the amount of kids that we have, it gets trampled on all the time. And when we first moved into the house, it actually kind of looked nice, but after things just kind of wore down, it was pretty clear that this thing was messed up. It had dry rot, there was boards that were cracking and warped, and there was whoever owned the house before had probably did some things they weren't supposed to do in terms of the stain and the sealant. And so I knew, that, and this is in the fall, we started to hear in the news, this one might be a wet one. I thought, oh Lord, if this is going to be a wet season coming up, I better take care of this thing. Now the tricky thing was around that time, I had already started serving here, and so our schedule was a little bit wonky. I mean, I was coming here some of the time, going back home, and then coming back here, and it was hard to get enough days in a row where I could work on this deck, because you need a few days in a row, because things need to dry out after you wash it, and all that. And so we finally found a time to do it, and in part, there was that first round of storms that was coming through, and I thought, oh Lord, help me get this done. And so after painstaking hours of power washing, sanding, letting it dry, sweeping and cleaning it again, sealing it, it finally got done and dried out just in time for the rain to come. It was hard work. I've got a bad back, and our kids are kind of a little bit too small to really be of that much help, especially with sanding. And so it was really rough. It was a hard few days. But I did it because I had a goal in mind. I knew something was coming. I knew that there was something important that I had to deal with this for. We didn't want it to be totally destroyed and have to redo the entire deck after this rainy season. And sure enough, the rainy season came, as we all know. When we have a hard thing that we need to do, when there's a mission in mind, it makes it a whole lot easier. Why did I spend all of this time doing it? I had a goal and a mission. And in churches around the world, in churches like ours, 
we share a common mission, a vision. Now, churches all over the place do it a little bit differently. Sometimes we emphasize different parts of the mission. But we all share in common that goal of making known Jesus to the world. That's what the church is. The representatives of God in the world. That's what it ought to be. And so we talk about the way we live. We talk about how we worship. We talk about sharing faith. We talk about doing good things and caring for others and doing justice. Because the mission of the church is to make known Jesus so that people would come to God for forgiveness and a relationship that lasts for eternity. Everything that a church does, including our church, has to in some way or another point back to that mission. And so this morning, we're going to be turning back to the book of Nehemiah into Nehemiah chapter 5. And here in Nehemiah 5, we're going to discover that Nehemiah, who is the governor of Judah of that region, rebuilds and pursues this very difficult work because he has a mission in mind. Now, this might be a little bit of a roundabout way of getting at it as we look at the scriptures, but I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, Nehemiah has a mission in mind. He understands what the mission is in rebuilding Jerusalem. We've talked about this before, that rebuilding Jerusalem was about reestablishing an identity for the people of God to be the representatives of God in the world. That's what they were trying to rediscover Ezra, in the book prior, who had come before Nehemiah, had already started reminding people, this is the way that God taught us to live. These are the laws that Moses had recorded. These are the things that are supposed to be our hallmarks. And so the community was beginning to hear these things, and Nehemiah probably heard them as well. And so he has a mission in mind. Now, before we can jump into Nehemiah chapter 5, to make Nehemiah chapter 5 make sense, we've got to do a little bit of a survey of some other things, all right? So please bear with me. Nehemiah, a former confidant of the king of Persia, is a man of Israelite descent, right? His people had been exiled because they had been disobedient to God after centuries and centuries. And so when they were exiled, the people of God felt as if they lost something about their identity, There were false prophets in those days who said, we are the people of God. God would never do this to us. God would never allow us to be exiled. And then others like Jeremiah and Isaiah and other prophets were saying, "Uh, it's part of the contract. God would send us to exile if we do not obey. And so it happened. And then people were confused. I thought we were the people of God. I thought that this is what we were supposed to be about. They relinquished in losing Jerusalem relinquished who they were and who they were meant to be. If we look through the books of the law, that is Genesis through Deuteronomy, there are a whole lot of instructions and rules and laws. Some of them are very practical. Some of them are very odd by our cultural understanding. Some of them served a purpose, though, many of them, in establishing a national identity of the way that God would like his people to be. It was meant to be a nation, Israel, that was set apart. We call that word holy, set apart, to be different, 
to stand out in their culture. And so in Leviticus chapter 20, God says, you are to be holy to me because I am the Lord, and I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. The whole point was for them to be a little bit different from their surrounding nations. And based on the promise that God had made to Abraham even long before Israel became a nation, that one of the primary purposes of Israel was to be a blessing to the nations, a people through whom God would bless the world, a representative people group for God. So in Genesis chapter 2 or chapter 12 in the Abrahamic covenant, we read that I will make you into a great nation, God speaking to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is the beginning covenant with the people who would become the nation of Israel. Now, they were meant to show a different way of living compared to the nations around them. They were not to worship idols. They were not to give in to sexual immorality. While the nations around them were often violent towards foreigners and sojourners, they were instructed to welcome others and be kind. So in Exodus chapter 20, we read the instruction, Do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners once in Egypt. And so while other nations would mistreat others, if you were an outsider, they were giving others very little chance of redemption. If people became poor, there was very little chance of redemption. You were sold into slavery. But Israel was intended to have a different approach. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, we read, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you, be open-handed to your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. There are repeated commands in the Old Testament, in the book of the law, that is telling the people of Israel, care for the poor. Leave behind extras of your farming, of the agriculture. Leave enough so that the poor can come and collect from your harvest. These are things that were built in to the law. And a subset of these instructions was about loans. I hate loans. <laughs> Debt is terrible. And for those of you who are on the younger end of things, many of us come out of college with massive amounts of student debt, right? It's what we live with. We have to live through this kind of thing. To buy a house, we've got to take a loan, and there's interest. And so over the life of it, we end up paying way more than what we actually borrowed, right? That's how it works. Now, let's look at how it worked for Israel or how it was supposed to work. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. It was in the book of the law. And again, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner or a stranger, not so that you can mistreat them, but so that they can continue to live in your land. There was a set of protections around those who would become poor because living in that way for Israel was to be set apart, to be different, 
to show a level of grace and self-sacrifice that was intended as a representative of God. So now we move into Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, this is Nehemiah speaking from Nehemiah's perspective. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against the fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Grain was not being left for them in the fields. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood with our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery, to servitude, to others. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles. Basically, he called them out and said, come on, guys, get over here. I'm going to call you guys out. And I told them, you are charging your own people interest. Now, when you read Nehemiah and you just read that, well, you know, you think, well, what's wrong with that? We all do it, right? But as we read in the, in the book of the law, that was not the way Israel was supposed to function. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles in the exile, and now you are selling your own people only to be sold back to us? The people kept quiet because they could find no way to defend themselves. They had nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And who we said, like, ha, you know, you guys are just doing every, like everything else. You guys might as well not be a people group, right? That's the whole point of them going back. I and my brothers and my men, those who were serving in his entourage, are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses, and also give back to them the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And we're skipping a couple verses here, but then they gather together and have some sort of ritual a representation of saying, yes, this is what we decide to do together. And then he says, then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to what they had promised. And I shook out the folds of my robes and said, in this way may God shake out of their house the possessions anyone of anyone who does not keep this promise. May such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food that was allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors that preceded me 
placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver in addition to the food and wine. And their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall, and my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. Other people were coming out from the outside as well, and those who were from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox and choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, abundant supply of wine, And in spite of this, though, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the people's, because the demand was too heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for the people. Thank you for bearing with me for that story. There are two aspects of the story that I think are really helpful for us to reflect upon. That is, what Nehemiah does, and why he does it. First, what Nehemiah is doing here in chapter 5 is living out the mission in a way. He's living out the mission of God's people and doing so by protecting the poor. Remember, how the people were, of Israel were to treat the foreigner and the poor was to be in stark contrast with the nations around them. Even in the New Testament, in in Acts, which we looked at not long ago, one of the hallmarks of the early church was that they cared for the poor. They cared for the poor among them. You see, this is a thread that is carried on from Old Testament to New Testament about what the people of God were supposed to be like. They cared for the poor. And it was an act in and of itself which drew people to God. So when Nehemiah takes on this challenge, he expresses that in his own life that there should be generosity towards others. And he is exhibiting, in doing so, the grace and self-sacrifice of God. And calling others to do likewise. That this is the mission. That we are to represent God in the world. And Nehemiah understood that and took it seriously. And so he did. And he did it humbly and sacrificially. Now, things back then, when you think about it this way, aren't that different 2,000 years ago to today. It's not normal for us to live generously and graciously and sacrificially for others. At least that's not what I see from my day to day. It's something that I struggle against in my own life. I mean, I'm sure... You know, today when you're watching the Super Bowl, there's going to be some special, hum- you know, interest story of how some player did some charitable work, and it's going to be this feel-good thing, and we're like, oh, yes, this is so great. You know, and these stories are good, but they're good in part because they do stand in contrast to the way that our society functions normally, right? There's something compelling about stories of grace and generosity to others, And that is something that the church globally should be known for. I mean, really, the things that really occupy more of our attention than these special human interest stories, the Olympics are worse, it's just filled with these, right? These special interest stories of how people were being wonderful to everybody else. But these are blips in the map of the way that our society functions. 
We are more interested in wealth and luxury and fancy cars and fancy homes and extravagant living. Our TV shows are about that. Anybody? No, you're not going to raise your hand for this because you're probably going to be too ashamed. But some of us might watch one of those Real Housewives shows. I mean, they live with so much luxury and so much excess and, you know, it's garbage stuff. But we watch it sometimes because it's fascinating we watch shows on like, uh, on like HGTV about house hunting, right? House hunters or international house hunters, right? Uh, I'm starting to meddle now. You know, when I was younger, there was a show called, what's it called now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this because I don't really know. But is it The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Now, I, did, I, you know, I don't really know that show, but I know that it was out there. But it's a fascination, that we have. We celebrate it. We celebrate these things. I mean, the car commercials that you guys are going to see today, right? Think about that, about how this is status and how we need to have this and we need to have that. We celebrate excess in our culture. And perhaps it is because the drive toward luxury and comfort that we are a part of is because that's so prevalent that Stories of charity and grace can be so compelling. It's one of the reasons why for many people, Mother Teresa was a compelling figure. Self-sacrifice. And this is in part what Nehemiah is doing. If the mission of God's people, the mission of Israel, was to represent God, represent the nature of God to the world, then they were to be a people that was self-sacrificing, gracious to others. Nehemiah lived out this vision of self-giving humility. A leader like that was striking in those days, right? Because the other governors didn't act like that, but he did. And it would be striking today too if you had a leader who didn't take on any of the special benefits of being that kind of leader and in that kind of position. Nehemiah was willing to forego it. Why? Well, that takes us to the second aspect of the story. Why? What was Nehemiah's motivation? And although it doesn't say it explicitly here in the text, I believe that his motivation was to please and honor God. Remember, at the end of the chapter, Nehemiah says, God, remember me, my God, for what I have done. If you look at how he's behaving, he is not taking on the praise of the people as their governor, right? He is not saying, bring all the best things to me and come honor me. He is not receiving that kind of honor from his people because he is seeking approval from God. There's a different set of motivations there than trying to puff himself up and have other people acknowledge him and praise him. His example is an example not of receiving praise and puffing up his own pride, but an example of sacrifice and humility. For Nehemiah, he seems to be driven towards by the desire to do what is right by God to do what God had asked him to do. 
And he's as if, as if the language of saying, you know, God, here it is. See what I have done. It's as if he is presenting an offering to God. And he is saying, please accept this offering. My work of sacrifice and humility and grace. Please accept this. He gives sacrificially and generously not because it was the way that God had instructed them, not just because of that, and not only because these actions are in and of themselves symbols of the kind of God that they serve and we serve, but he does it to please God. Giving and giving generously is one of those things that's really hard to talk about in church. I'm the transitional pastor, so I can say whatever I want. Maybe it's because we live in a culture that ingrains in our minds that our money is our own business, and we should spend it on whatever makes us feel good. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the call here is for all of us to go sell our houses and give everything away. We do spend money. My, my latest splurge was a new jacket. My, my old jacket, I had been wearing it for a number of years, and there was a rip in it, and the collar was faded and looked gross. And I was like, oh, maybe it's time to get a new jacket. I splurged. I got a nice new jacket. We spend money. It happens. It's normal. It's a part of the way that our society functions. But we are called to take a hard look at how it is that we spend our money. Do we spend almost all of our money on ourselves? It's hard not to. But the encouragement is to think about our money sacrificially and graciously, as Nehemiah modeled. It's because something happens to us when we are willing to give sacrificially. Not only do we care for others, and I'm not speaking just about giving to church. That's, that's one thing. There's also many other ministries and active things that you can give to, and that's a part of it too. Not only do we care for others when we give generously, but when we do so, we become a little bit more Christ-like. And what do I mean by that? There is an act of relinquishing of ourselves for the sake of others that is like Christ. There is something in the way that Nehemiah was giving up of himself. And you see these themes are coming up throughout scriptures, right? Giving up of himself to give generously, to provide a means for redemption so that there would be no people who would be caught in this endless cycle of poverty, that there was a way to be redeemed and he was going to give generously and sacrificially. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know that that is part of the message of Jesus. That to be like Christ, as Christians want to be, is to be sacrificial, to be gracious and generous to others. I'm sure it was not easy for Nehemiah. Nehemiah had risen to such status in the Persian Empire that he was a confidant to the king of Persia. He no doubt lived 
with a certain level of luxury. He got to taste the best wine and best food that the whole empire could afford. He probably got used to that life, and he enjoyed it. It was great. He had a nice place to live in, a nice home, a nice room. And yet he laid it aside. Didn't consider his status as something to be kept, but humbly laid it down and gave to others. There's a theme here, right? You see that? His focus was on pleasing God. His focus was on doing things God's way and representing God there. And when our focus is in the right place, then doing the work of building the kingdom, participating in God's mission, it's a lot easier when we know what the mission is and we keep that at the forefront of our minds. If our eyes are fixed on God, the king and the kingdom builder, then God helps us prune away that selfishness, pride, and greed that so easily entangles us and chokes us. This morning, I would like to invite you to think about what it is that we are building the kingdom for and invite you to live with the mission in mind. Now, there are some suggestions on the back of your Connect card. You can look at those if that's helpful for you as a way to respond. You are invited to live with the mission in mind, the mission of making known God through your words and your deeds. Whether that means taking a hard look at how we spend our money, how much we give to God's work, whether it's through the church or elsewhere, or perhaps that it might mean making a decision to live sacrificially for someone, someone in your life, someone that you know, a neighbor who might be going through a hard time, and you've felt like, you know what, I don't have the energy to help this person. Perhaps God is calling you to live sacrificially for that neighbor. Or perhaps you're invited to live with, to consider ways in which you can engage and deal with the systems of poverty that exist in our nation. Right? It's interesting that Nehemiah wasn't just focused on giving handouts, right? He was tackling the problem, the interest which was one of the things that would keep people in this cycle, this endless loop of poverty, because they kept on owing more and more and more. Nehemiah took on the system because the law of God took on the system. Perhaps God is calling you to look at the systems. What is it in our society that leads to such a gap in wealth between those who have and have not. We are invited to live and be and do with the mission in mind. This morning, we are going to be taking communion together. It's a practice that we have on the first Sunday of each month 
we today are going to be passing plates, which means servers will be coming by and passing the plates and the elements. And you can hold on to them, and then we will partake of it together. We look at these elements as a way of not only remembering, but experiencing the sacrifice, the self-giving grace of Jesus through his death on the cross. And while we often come to communion or the Lord's table reflecting and thinking about how grateful we are, I think the invitation is also to be challenged, to go and do likewise. In Nehemiah's case, that was what he was doing, living generously and self-sacrificially. And we are encouraged today, I would love to encourage you today, to as you are holding on to the elements, not only think about Jesus' sacrifice for you, but how you might become more Christ-like in sacrificing for others. Matt, would you come up? And the band can come up as we prepare for communion. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this and eat of it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, exhibit, show the world the death of Jesus Christ until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And Lord, would we in this time as we experience you be willing to step into that place where we could be like you. Whether it's in our behaviors and in our actions or even in our finances. Lord, help us to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Would the servers please come forward? Wait, you know what we'll do? The, just with the cup, right? Yeah, we'll do. As the elements go around, we invite you to hold on to it, and we will partake together. <laughs> 